Welcome to Meet, Act, and Part. A Masonic podcast hosted by Midnight Freemasons Greg Knott, Darren Larners, Todd Creason, and Bill Hosler. The views, opinions and experiences that are expressed by the hosts or guests as individual Freemasons do not reflect the official position of any Grand Lodge, appendant body, or Masonic authority to which the hosts or guests belong. And now on with the show. everybody and welcome to another exciting episode of Meet, Act, and Part. Hey, this is episode number 60. I can't believe it. We made it to 60. So anyway, we're your co-hosts. Let me introduce myself as Greg Knott. And I'm Darren Laners. Uh, Bill's not with us tonight. He's uh, under the weather, so we wish Bill all the best and hope he gets uh, better soon. Absolutely, Bill. Hope you're getting better as you listen to this. And uh, of course, we wish you uh, all the good health here to end 2023. So I can't believe we're at the end of 2023. And it seems maybe kind of appropriate. The topic we're going to cover tonight is magic. And uh, Darren and I were talking about this the other day and I said, we got to do a show on magic. And we'll, we'll get into a little bit about how that even came up. But magic can mean a lot of things. And we always say this is a magical time of year. And so, you know, we can discuss meanings of that, magic and related to uh, degrees and Freemasonry. And Darren's done a lot of work and study in this area. So it's it's really a great topic that it's, I'll be interviewing him as much as anything on this because uh, it's not a lot of things I've uh, delved deep into. But how we came on this was Darren and I were at our Shrine Club meeting the other night and we had a magician and uh dave who's one of our fellow masons and shriners is also a magician on the side and he just did a very short show and he did a great job and the kids were and the adults we were all like wow i mean it's just funny what you can do with magic but as darren and i were having a side discussion i said we ought to do this next episode on magic and um it's something that's always intrigued me I've never delved very deep into it, honestly. But so anyway, that's our topic. So let me just give just a tiny overview from a novice perspective, because I think this is the neat thing. Darren and I will come out with different, uh, you know, depths of knowledge tonight. But to me, magic is just something that maybe you don't quite understand or it's it's not a clear explanation. Magical could be something it's, it's it could be a feeling. You know, it feels like magic or it feels, you know, magical. Of course, we always hear growing up, uh, we'd all go to the Magic Kingdom down in Florida. And I guess magic in a way is a transformational maybe feeling or experience. But let me stop there. And so, Darren, there's a little bit of what I know or don't know about magic. But how would you just introduce the topic of, of magic in general? And then we can delve into it from a Masonic perspective. Sure. So... I think uh, it's important to differentiate at the beginning of this that there's kind of two two kind of definitions of or ideas uh, behind magic. So you have like stage illusion, which is, you know, sleight of hand and card tricks, you know, pulling a bunny out of a hat. The, the stuff that Dave was performing the other day, that's usually uh, spelled, you know, classically with the C at the end, so M-A-G-I-C, 
magic with a K uh, refers to more of the uh, practice of uh, ritual or uh, high magic or, you know, also there's low magic, which we'll we'll get into here. But low magic essentially is... uh, focus on fulfillment of earthly desires uh whereas uh high magic or ritual magic or ceremonial magic they're all kind of interchangeable uh is more about spiritual growth uh energetic practices uh ceremonies uh, and the rituals around those and invocations evocations uh those sorts of things so we'll we'll kind of touch on all of uh, that here tonight, but that's just kind of a, a high level of when we discuss magic. You know, we'll be probably more focusing on the ritual, the higher magic part, because I I believe, and I have a very. Before I get into that, I would I should say like my definition of magic is not strict. It essentially is whatever you know you can give a name to when you have an intention and you apply it and there's what you perceive as a result so really simple way way to think about it is greg have you ever been in the car and you're thinking about a particular song and then amazingly you're flipping through the radio and that song's on the radio has that ever happened to you yeah i mean and and lots of examples like that more than just the the creepy stuff that google's showing you when you think about something but well yeah i mean that that i think (laughs) i think what what google is uh, uh, does and i found myself victim of this as well is that where i where i have you know probably at some point searched for the thing that i'm currently thinking about and I, you know, kind of forgot that I was thinking about it earlier and, and then it surprises me. I, I don't think that, uh, you know, Google can read our thoughts. At least I, I hope not. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I hope and, not either. And, We're all you know, in any And yeah. And in any case, so that's kind of my, my definition of magic is, is very broad. It's, you know, that idea of, uh, you know, you kind of talked about things being magical. So like, I think a magical experience can be, you know, if you're at a concert and there's a band, you know, performing and the crowd is really into it and it just kind of feels like a special, special moment. Right. And I, I yeah, think that's, I, I, you know, I, remember, I, I think, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, you know, related. I remember 1994, the Eagles had gotten back together and uh, a group of us went to the Riverport Theater in St. Louis area and saw them. And we had fifth, sixth, seventh row seats. So we were right front and center. And, you know, I'd never heard them live because, of course, they'd just gotten back together. And I just remember that feeling leaving there uh, was just, you know, because I'd always wanted to see them in concert because through high school, of course, all you listened to was, you know, cassette tapes or later CDs of them. But yeah, you're right. It was that, that magic feeling, you know, that it's almost like it puts you on a, you know, a different plane leaving there. Mm -hmm. So don't you assume that man has long been fascinated with magic in some shape or form all the way, probably as far back as you could go to reasonable history? Yeah, I think honestly, I think magic was probably the first form of religion. I think that, you know, you can find even the anthropologists are, are you know, with their studies of, you know, 
Cro-Magnon man or Neanderthals or, you know, kind of the, the species that, that were very closely related to, to humans, you see kind of this, this idea of, of something spiritual or, or, or some form of, you know, uh, magic or uh, you know uh, just burying trinkets with with their with uh you know their deceased and and the idea that um they had some sort of rights you know for for death and and call it magic call it religion i think they're kind of intertwined although you know i think that magic is is very steeped in in religion a lot of magic you know revolves around the idea of invoking higher entities, if you will, spiritual entities to, you know, help you gain knowledge or at least help you uh, experience or feel closer to, you know, the the creator. So I think it's all intertwined. You know, if you, you think about miracles that Jesus performed. You know, what else, what other explanation is there for those other than, than, you know, magic? He created wine from water. He raised, you know, Lazarus from the dead. You know, these are magical acts that he's going around performing. So I think, you know, that again, it's, I think spirituality, magic, and, you know, religion are kind of all, all similar philosophy with different practice, if you will. Yeah. It seems like there's, you know, for the individual, there's got to be some, some bit of faith and then faith in, in believing the unknown or believing things you don't understand and accepting the fact that, you know, there may just not be a, a cut and dry explanation for how something in particular happened as simple as maybe the card tricks we saw with Dave or, you know, the more complex things like you've mentioned from a, a religious perspective, there's something in there that kind of says, yeah, I'm not quite sure about it, but there's got to be some, you know, level of belief in that you saw, you know, what you saw uh, kind of a thing. And uh -huh. so, you know, so it, there, I guess I'm saying there's probably a lot of uncertainty, you know, in, in when you talk about these things, because I assume people can, they'll feel them different or they may see them different. And or experience right. it different, so it's an individualized uh, experience. Yeah. So I mean, you have you have people that you know will practice ceremonial magic. Will will say you know well you know especially when I kind of talk about Freemasonry being you know a form of ceremonial magic or ritual magic that oh it's not you know it's not magic because you're not doing this that and the other and and that's kind of where my my broad kind of idea or understanding of of magic takes takes place and magic is much like freemasonry where you know there's not a valid definition of what magic is or what it what it isn't i think you know to each person who practices it or studies it you know i don't practice it but i study it 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 holds different meanings and and i'm sure that you know it would be the same as asking maybe a lutheran and a roman catholic to explain the differences between you know their their faiths cuz they're very they're very similar you know there are differences obviously martin luther had some grievances with the roman catholic church and aired those grievances and and split away and you know that kind of formed you know the uh Protestant uh, branches of uh, Catholicism or, or, you know, Christianity, I should say, because, you know, they cease to be 
Catholic, I guess, at that point. And, and uh, I think, you know, the same is, is with people who probably practice magic. There are people, I think, that would practice magic that would say, uh, yeah, that their Freemasonry is either a form or very closely aligned with uh, ritual magic. And then there are some practitioners that will say, oh, no way, Jose, that's that's not, uh, it's not magic what you're doing. So I think also part of it is, you know, how how we practice practice Freemasonry. If you want to talk about Freemasonry as a magical system, you know, you when you practice, I think Freemasonry with intention, and everybody in that lodge has the same intention, and you're all doing it for the same purpose. Which happens, you know, in our degrees, I believe more so in our meetings. But I, I think you know the opening and closing ritual is kind of still a magical ritual, but I think more especially when you are in the degrees and you have that sole intention of bringing that uh, you know man to to light and uh in his first degree and then continuing that journey of of light uh, in his second and third degree everybody who is there has you know the same intention and i i think you know that that when we do a degree properly and with correct intention that that something magical is is occurring in that in that lodge room and that we are you know that there are different actions that we perform that are magical actions and and that we are doing you know a magical working if you will on you know not only as a group but upon that individual and i think that's powerful stuff and and really, it's kind of illustrates the power, as you just said, of of any ritual. I mean, whether it's a Masonic ritual, a degree, or as you mentioned, things in uh, the church or a wedding, or even go back to our Boy Scout days, things and uh, you know that we did at either Order of the Arrow or any other number of ceremonies. There's there is a transformational process, and I think part of that a graduation ceremony. You know, there's something even I've attended numerous of those. It's like you come in one way and you leave another. In other words, you're not you've hopefully grown through the experience of whatever it was that you just went to the wedding, the degree, the graduation, the the church service. It's it seems it's almost seems like a means of personal transformation from one stage to another. Yeah. So, I, I mean, and that's kind of uh, what magic is at its very root. It's the creation of an intention out of nothing. So you have these words and rituals and movements that, you know, accompany the words that are designed specifically for a a purpose, which is normally a, as you said, you know, often used in in initiation practices, but also, you know, can be, as you stated, uh, a very a church service or, you know, we talked about a concert or, you know, just even, you know, this happens to me quite a bit. And I kind of uh, learned that, you know, when you're, for example, here's a, a couple examples. I had uh, one experience when I was thinking about Having to talk to Lisa's Uncle Ben about, it might have been something for St. Joe Lodge, or I can't remember exactly, but I was at the Walmart in Savoy, and, you know, thinking about Ben while I'm shopping, and I come out of Walmart, and who should I wander upon but her Uncle Ben? And, <laughs> and you know, that's, is it coincidence? Well, sure, but is it something else? 
I, I kind of think so. I just think it's, uh, I just think it's just so, so random to be coincidental, uh, that whatever that, you know, I, I feel like my thought manifested Ben being there at that time and, and, you know, maybe Ben unrelatedly thought around the same time I was thinking of him, I got to go to Walmart to get X, Y, and Z. And, you know, that the two worlds kind of collide, you know, I'm sure you've had examples in your own life of, of similar kind of coincidences like that. Well, are they, are they coincidental? I mean, I guess that's the question that the one, one could ask, uh, the, the more I study kind of the magical arts, if you will, the less I kind of believe in, in coincidence, the more I believe kind of that, that manifestation. It's not, you know, it's not like, it's not like I could sit here and manifest, you know, a million dollars or, you know, a certain amount of money. But what I think, you know, proper practice of magic can do is almost, you know, in your visualization work, if you will, you start to visualize your, your end goal. And then, you know, you things come into your mind, which can help you get to that, that end goal. You know, you think about, for example, you know, I have an idea that pops in my head for for a book. So, you know, it's up to me to write the book. You know, my belief is that uh, these things aren't that we write off kind of as coincidental may may not be. I think that the universe is kind of a living entity itself and that we all are interconnected in this universe. And, you know, these are the lessons that, that, you know, the, the prophets taught and why we need to be nice to each other and love each other because we're all kind of part of the creator, part of the, the, the universe. And we need to, you know, treat each other as, as such, you know, I, I think, I think that if we could get people to understand that we all have, uh, divine spark within us that we are all, you know, part of God's creation or however you define God, you know, I think that, that there might be, one would hope there'd be less violence and less evil in the world, you know, but. So, I mean, again, I think I agree with you. I do think people are interconnected more than we all probably realize, you know, I think Again, magic can, however, can we, can several definitions of it, but I think it's, it is a means of trying to help explain or help understand some of those interconnectedness that we do share. And, and it's, again, I go back to that means of, of transformation from one thing to the other, you know, and I don't, you know, I mean that just in the simplest of terms. Yeah. I guess this is why it's so hard to, to just, you know, I looked up a Wikipedia definition, and of course, they're all over the map. You know, just because there's so many mm-hmm. potential meanings that it has. And um, but you know, again, coming back yeah. to the Masonic ritual, there is a feeling, especially when you're first coming into the lodge as the entered apprentice, where you don't really know what to expect. And I think most of us would agree that when you leave those degrees, you're still not exactly sure what happened or what all the the words meant or what all the you know the ceremonies meant but you know you went through something of course by the end of the third degree you've you've really i think you know people you've seen it they they're really appreciative of and and somewhat and short for words on what they did uh experience and i think it's only over time 
that as you see the degrees as a non-candidate, that you start to begin to slowly grasp what it means. And I've seen 15 years worth, and I'm still not sure I fully have that as all the understanding that I want to have, because I learn more, even just in three degrees, even though I've heard the words before, it seems like I'm, I may hear them differently from one time to the next, especially in the, the lectures and as you pick up on things. And, and maybe life experiences help transform your own understanding of, quote, what the magical effect is from, you know, one degree to the next, or even from one certain age where we are to the next, you know, because I, I, and I think that's maybe just personal growth, but I don't know. I still I keep getting things out of them. So is that magic? Yeah, sure. In my mind, it is magical to me to keep learning. But uh, so I guess that's the thing, too, is that as you grow, learn, experience different things, your understanding and, and how you define these things, I think, progress and change over time as well. Mm-hmm. And and I think, you know, when you, you really start to look and dissect the ritual as we currently have it and, you know, the, the floor work, obviously that differs by jurisdiction, but the, the purpose, the intention is, is there in, in, in all the ritual. But, you know, what, uh, what I think one of the things that, uh, you know, I think that, that, uh, we also need to, to, to think about as, as Freemasons is that uh, is that when we are all there in in the same room and we have the same intention and we're we're doing this this intentional work in our in our lodges that that there's there's power you know you kind of touched on how how it's how you've witnessed it and you you know you observe or you feel different things through watching the degree or participating in it and in helping confer a degree and i think you know that uh, what what we're touching on is this idea of this it's called an egregore which essentially egregore is a form of for lack of a better term it can be negative it can be positive magical kind of energy or entity and that that in our lodges that that when we kind of are intentional in our in our degree work everybody's on the same page everybody is uh you know kind of purified their their hearts and they're really really um intent on giving this candidate the the best degree that they can give them that you know we're creating this positive force or energy that can help you know kind of give a vibrancy if you will to 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 a lodge and i i think that you know we have to to think about freemasonry kind of in in this mindset of well what happens when we don't do this you know why why are lodges closing well they're not bringing in guys they're probably reading the ritual from a book or not, you know, really intentional about the ritual. They're, you know, probably not guarding the lodge room from the outside world, you know, and and these are all kind of things that should be happening in order to in order to create a positive egregore. And when we're not creating positive egregore, we're creating a negative one. And, you know, the positive egregore, they love all that that positive love and energy that you're given in a, in a well-intentioned degree. But if you stop feeding it or, you know, 
or on the flip side, if you create, if you're just kind of mumbling the words and you don't really have much intention behind it and you, you know, you're, you're, you're not intentional in your, in your work during a degree, I think, you know, the opposite can happen where you form an egregore that's kind of negative and it just kind of feeds off of negativity and, and it brings negativity into your lodge. And I think, you know, we've probably experienced both, you know, uh, let's hope at St. Joe are kind of on the positive track, but, you know, not to, not to besmirch any, any one individual, but we, you know, had a situation where there was a, a member of our lodge that, you know, basically was very disruptive. Um, and, uh, it got to a point where there were many of us, you know, myself included, had a hard time coming to lodge because of this individual. And uh, we essentially had to politely ask the individual not to, to come to, to lodge because of that kind of negative influence. And and I kind of think about, you know, I kind of think about that where, you know, it's kind of the idea of one rotten apple can, you know, spoil the bunch. Yeah, you also have to think of Freemasonry kind of in the terms of from a magical standpoint that, if it's our intention to create very good, positive, initiatic experience for the individuals we're bringing through, then we need everybody on that same page and we need everybody positive and having that same intention. And uh, when it, that's not happening, I think, you know, that's where we see kind of the decline of, of lodges. And I, I think, you know, you whether or not Grand Lodge knows what they're they're saying doing when they give, you know, kind of the uh, the blueprint to get a Grand Master's Award of, of Excellence, I think essentially, you know, they're giving a Lodge a formula to, to remain positive and active and, and do positive things in their community. And that helps feed the egregore in their lodge and keeps that egregore positive. And uh, when you're not doing those things, um, when your lodge kind of stagnates or you aren't bringing in new members, you know, the lodge kind of gets to a point where it's on the verge of dying. And um, I think, you know, maybe some people will say, well, that's just the life cycle of a, a lodge. And uh, I'm not going to disagree with that, but I think there's also something deeper kind of at, at play as well. So, you know, you think about ahead. the uh, comparables to a ball team. I mean, it's, it's the same, it's the same thing. You can, we've, we've all seen teams at high school, college or pro level that they, they appear on paper to have all the talent in the world. But mm-hmm. for whatever reason, they can't seem to to put it all together on a on a court or a field. But yet, you'll have these other teams, and of course, you know the NCAA tournament is the you know ultimate sort of example where you'll have a sixteen or a fourteen, fifteen seed, you know, knock off a one, two, or three, and mm-hmm. the whole difference is whether we call it teamwork or these other things we've been talking about. It's all of those people are in rhythm. They have a common goal, and they're they're feeding off the feeling of each other, and and really do you know they've got talent. Uh, but I think it's the same thing, Darren. That you're using the analogy with the degree. We've seen flat degrees. All the words have been said. The same words that could be said, you know, like on 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 a Monday night, and we leave there. It's like, well, God, that just wasn't very good. And you can go uh-huh. the very next night, and the thing will just it just seems. Magical. I mean, I mean, it's just funny because I think right. your one of your points was how we feed off each other. And you know, here's something I was thinking about: Why would I join the lodge? And I think, well, let me give you a good example. There was we had an, an inquiry at Ogden lately, and uh-huh. this inquirer said he wants to be part of a team, part of a brotherhood. 
And, yeah. you know, how do you achieve that? Well, it's that feeling that you're going to leave with a good degree and you're working towards a common goal or, you know, a, a common success factor that you're trying to achieve. And it's like all of those things need to come together or to your point, Darren, the lodge falls flat and it starts to go backwards and we've seen it. And it's, it is a lot like a ball team. You know, the coach is continually, you know, trying to do things. God, of course you and I've seen it with the university of Illinois ball teams for decades. You'll have those ones mm-hmm. that, Seem to have had all the talent, just can't put it together. But yet, again, you'll have these other ones that maybe they're not the rock stars, but they seem to be putting it all on the same page because through teamwork, and I think that's based on those feelings that they, you know, get to to succeed and want to, you know, help each other get better. And, you know, to me, that's sort of an, an, an intangible benefit you get out of being in a Masonic Lodge is that teammate and camaraderie piece that you can take not only if you're successful in the lodge, but take it into, you know, your career or your family. So that's, you know, that's to mm-hmm. me, it's, that's a, it's a very valuable piece of the puzzle that I hadn't really thought about until we got into this kind of a discussion, but is that magic? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. And I, I think, you know, that's why I, I believe that the idea of having a harmonious lodge is so stressed in our ritual as well, because, you know, wherever this ritual originated, you know, and, and yeah, did it come out of kind of the, the guilt system? Sure. But they're, you know, why did they adopt it? You know, these are things that answer questions that we probably will never be able to, to, to answer. But the idea is still being that, you know, I, I kind of believe that we may not be directly, you know, descended from the mystery schools of Egypt or Greece or, you know, but that we are philosophically descended from them, you know, if, if that makes sense. And I think the idea of having harmony and being harmonious in, in a lodge goes along with this idea of, you know, everybody being on the same page, everybody having the same intention and them, you know, understanding because uh, from very early on that this, you know, this ritual that we're using or, or, you know, the allegories that we, we tell are more probably ancient or related to more ancient ones than that we, than we, you know, even know or can, can trace. And in the, to a lot of, you know, a lot of these mystery schools were essentially designed for people uh, to, you know, to become priests or, you know, holy men or, or, or kind of uh, some of that. So you have, you know, this underlying, again, intention of transformation into something more or closer allied to divine or divinity and uh, and that in order to for everyone to get there, we all have to be on the same page. We all have to have the same intention. We all have to have, you know, pure hearts. We all have to, to follow the lessons of, you know, in the Masonic sense, Freemasonry, keep, you know, d- divisive topics out of the lodge, keep that lodge as a sacred space, and, and then have the members, you know, be very dedicated to the intention of the ritual and you know how they're 
pronouncing the ritual and, and, and how they're, you know, having that intentional, almost sacredness or treating the, the ritual as sacred, you know, much as we, you know, treat the, the volume of sacred law that we open on our, on our altar as sacred, that the same thing kind of applies to the lodge room. And when you think of the lodge room, uh, you know, and it says in our ritual that essentially lodge room is modeled after King Solomon's temple. Well, what, what did King Solomon's temple hold? You know, the Ark of the Covenant. And it was very in the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies could only be entered one day a year by the high priest. And, you know, various rituals had to be performed to purify himself to be able to be in the presence of the divine. Well, if the King Solomon's Temple is a repository for an aspect of divinity, you know, basically in in within the Ark of the Covenant, our Masonic lodges is, are as well, and that's you know why we need to to treat our work as as sacred and be intentional and and with with what we do because we are you know I think ultimately when we open the lodge we are purifying it and cleansing it with our ritual to do our our sacred work. And then when we close the lodge, we're basically then, you know, closing, we're basically preparing ourselves to go back to the the profane world. But while we're in that space, you know, we make it sacred with our ritual and our intention. And when we do it properly, you know, I think that the transformative experiences of our degrees or even some of the better meetings we've had or when we've had really good education that it's kind of been thought provoking, you know, all these things are are able to take place in that sacred space and but when we aren't intentional when we just kind of half-ass it and just kind of you know go through the the motions if you will well we're probably not gonna have a good good degree or or meeting you know because we're our minds our hearts aren't aren't there so you know that's where i think where i think you know if if you if the listeners take away one thing it's just to you know be have that intention have that purity of heart and and you know think of think of what we're doing as something higher or or more you know sacred or divine than than you might normally think of it so a few things that come to mind as you described all that one is um you use the word repository and that's sprinkled in the ritual you know in various degrees not just the first three degrees but repository in the sense of, you know, we always talk about this ancient wisdom and ancient knowledge that's been passed down from, you know, from one generation or one one part of man to the next. And, it, you know, it, it, even in a sort of literal sense, it's true because there is a repository of knowledge that is been passed down at least in organized freemasonry for 300 years and it it does you know show you maybe not all the the deep you know secrets of the world but it 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 is a uh, like a, a a guidebook that can help you be that better person to me that's we're talking about these transformative pieces of knowledge that are being passed down I think that's all part of it. It's not just all the esoteric pieces, even though you could argue maybe those are esoteric, but even from an applied standpoint, it's like we keep passing these down and and keep using them. And But it kind of leads to my next point or question. 
you can go through and have a great ritual, have it letter perfect. Everybody leaves there with a, a good feeling that you did a good job on the work. But, and this is where, of course, why we have podcasts and other things. How, how do you dig into it deeper, you know, from an educational or study standpoint? And this is sort of a loaded question, but I mean, don't you think you got to peel that onion back just a little bit more, even after, even if, you know, if you've memorized the, the lecture, but for the members in the room to get to even that next level of deeper understanding, they're going to have to study it. And I think you mentioned, oh, you know, having an educational piece where we can get into having some of these discussions. To me, that's like the next level of the magic or the transformation. Yeah. And, uh, and you're obviously, I think, going to have, you know, I think you, the lodges that are, you know, for example, Space Novum up, up north. Uh, I went, uh, I don't know if you know this, Gregor, I think you do know this, that our good friend, uh, Robert Johnson was elected master. Uh, my wife, Lisa, and I went up to um, their Saint, Feast of St. Andrews uh, because they do their officer installation as, as part of that, as part of that, that feast. And, you know, it was a, a, a privilege and a pleasure for me to, to see RJ uh, get installed as worship master of that lodge. But, you know, kind of to that point, all those guys up there are on the same mission or, or, or path, you know, they're kind of lockstep with each other. And, you know, I, I think that uh, you have various lodges where, where when that occurs, you know, there's potential for very, very special uh, things, things to happen. And um, that's not to take away from kind of our ragtag bunch down down here that, you know, does the degree work in that. But, but uh, you know, it all, I think, boils down to having the membership of your particular lodge to understand that, that there's something more, for lack of a better word, spiritual about what, what, what we're doing and that, you know, that we are um, – we are kind of dealing with the energy practice, I guess, if you will, that 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 some of our membership just is not aware of, or doesn't want to be aware of, or doesn't doesn't really care. They just they go in, and and that's and that's you know kind of where we we have to to separate Freemasonry from magic is that when that magic is you being intentional, you having the intention of giving, you know, birth to this new candidate and, and giving him a mystical experience and, and, and the degree. And when you're all on the same page and doing that, I think it's more, not only beneficial to that candidate, but I also think beneficial to those individuals because they really, everybody again, kind of experiences that that together. And that's, you know, when you're talking about earlier, the really good degrees versus the degrees you come out of when, you know, it's just kind of flat. I think that's a perfect example. You know, when you're in a very moving degree and you come out, you're like, wow, that's a great degree. Everybody did great work. You know, the candidate really seemed to move that, that, you know, that you, you successfully did a magical working. Uh, but again, on the same side when you don't have the intention when your heart's not in it when i I won't say your but you know the collective heart isn't in it or somebody's just there going through the motions and not really 
having that intention that 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 kind of will throw off the the degree and that's uh, uh again you know i think i'm gonna hammer home this idea of intention that 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 that's you know the mindset that if we wanted to really really have that kind of deeper spiritual experience in our degrees that's the mindset everybody has to have because if it's not there i feel like if one person doesn't have it it's not gonna happen just because you know that it's got to be everybody again that team working together towards that goal and if you've got a team in the ncaa tournament and you got a player whose heart's not there you know what's probably going to happen. He's probably not going to perform well. You're probably going to lose that game. I, I, you know, I think the same applies here where, you know, you have to have, everybody has to, to have the same mindset, if you will. How do you think leadership impacts this? I mean, all of these, you know, again, going to the, the ball game analogy, it's, and we've seen it many times, there's, there could be that special coach or that special player they seem to have a almost charismatic, you know, air about them that they can come in and that starts affecting the others in a positive way that helps them put the team together that perform at these high levels that we're talking about. Or maybe it's, it doesn't even have to be the master of a lodge. There can be somebody that's just that leader within the group that kind of helps set that tone that others, in some ways they want to emulate, some ways they want to be a part of some ways they may not want to let somebody down some ways they're excited by the energy that person brings so leadership is probably is it and i don't say it is probably i think it is also a vital part of this if you look at it from a, a spiritual standpoint some of the the great churches have you know there's great leadership in some of those churches that have these transformational experiences for people and then and i can also see you know we've had masters of lodges that man, they just really put it together and the lodge is growing and all this. And then sometimes after they're done, you know, that leadership element is missed. And so I, I guess, what do you think, how important is the leadership aspect in some of these things we're talking about? Well, I think uh, that's important as well, because, you know, if you have a master who is kind of gone through the line, but really just kind of is doing it maybe for more, I don't know, selfish reasons, if you will, you know, I think the lodge will suffer, you know, the effective leaders that, 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 that you see normally are, again, the ones that, that lead by example, that are collaborative, that are communicative, and, you know, kind of get everybody to buy into their, their vision, right? And when, when that happens, I think you have potential for very good you know, Masonic experience and, and uh, good degrees, so on and so forth, because they'll put the right people in place, the ones that they know have the intention to do the work in a very much intentional, solemn, you know, manner, having, you know, that kind of respect for what they're doing, as opposed to, you know, a guy who just is kind of, oh, I'm master, but I'm just, you know, waiting to get out of the East and phoning it in. And, and, you know, we've kind of seen probably in our Masonic experience, the the whole gamut, you know, again, I think that having, having an effective leader is obviously going to help a lodge because that leader is going to have that intention. And if, 
and at least be wise enough to know that, you know, if I don't know, if I don't know the ritual well enough to confer a degree, I'm going to find a guy that I can trust to do it. That's going to have that intention. I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, you know, pitch in where I, where I can help out, but I'm not going to, um, you know, we're going to try to all have the same intention to do this. And, and I think that's why it's kind of important and, and to sing praises of our, you know, master St. Joe, having him having, you know, that kind of, uh, knowledge of the ritual and the floor work. And, and, you know, I really believe that he's got the intention, whether or not he knows <laughs> that, you know, it's what he's doing is magic is, is inconsequential in my, my point of view, uh, because, you know, he's doing it for the right reasons. And he's also trying to get the lodge to buy in and do the work so we can all grow together and, you know, learn together and uh, give our candidates uh, a very good initiatic experience and i think you know that's that's kind of where where you know the saying what is it teamwork makes the dream work uh, it may be corny but it, it's true you know we can accomplish more together as a group than as individuals and you know it just takes a matter of doing things and, and trying things and getting out into you know the community and also when we're in the community making sure that we're as individuals representing Freemasonry in a, in a positive manner, you know, case in point, just short segue, but the night uh, of RJ's installation, I got back and uh, had gotten back to the car and I forgot something and got back to the room at the hotel, forgot something car. So I was uh, coming back into the, the lobby and the, the clerk, you know, had inquired as to, to why I was dressed up. And I explained, you know, I'm a Freemason, a good friend of, of mine, was installed as master of his lodge. And, uh, you know, he relayed to me kind of uh, some of his personal history and, and that he had a great grandfather. Grandfather was a Mason and had somehow encountered a Mason and brought that up. And the Mason replied to him, well, that doesn't mean you can be a member. And I mean, that's just, to me, I was, I was mortified. I was like, who it, with all the, the problems we talk about having with membership, you know, who in their right mind would be that much of uh, an elitist, I guess, to automatically judge somebody based upon, you know, their looks. That's why we do the investigation. That's why we yeah. get to know these guys and we make to, we make sure that they're going to be a good fit. We guard the West Gate, but. You know, if somebody's showing a genuine interest or even trying to bring up conversation, you know, that's the the, the worst thing to do. And that's that's uh, I didn't press him for where it happened, you, you know, or, or or any of those details. I just kind of apologized, and you know, he asked some questions about Freemasonry that I explained that you know the belief that came out of more the the medieval guild systems. You know, some will say Templars, others will say you know, X, Y, Z, but I think, uh, you know, at least the, the best direct evidence we have of where it, it kind of arose from is from that, the, uh, stonemason guilds of the medieval, you know, times and then kind of morphed into what we have today. Yeah. So getting long here in our hour, but if I had uh -huh. to summarize it up and go into that exact example, I mean, here in those stone guilds, they're building these just beautiful cathedrals that sometimes would take literally decades 
to to build. And so yeah. they had all these elements, I think, that we've been talking about. They had they certainly had to have leadership because somebody had to direct the project and think about how how long of a time frame that was. They had to have skills that they could use together in unison, you know, to to build what they did because they certainly don't have the modern tools as we know them today. They had that intentional perseverance, Darren, that you mentioned, both from not only, I think, the leadership aspect of it, but also the craftsmanship aspect. And I think there must have been something transformational for them because, just as you indicated, I mean, our best guess is that our Freemason rituals came out of them. And to me, you know, it's sort of romantic to think that they came out of it, but I just think of it more from a, just a practical standpoint. It's like they had all these things going for them. The feeling of being uh, on a team together, the leadership, the, the the goals that they set to achieve in terms of, you know, constructing an edifice. And, you know, eventually they, you know, took those sort of those practical things that they were doing with, you know, tools and then did developed more and it's like oh you know there's literally an esoteric side of this too that's what i think began sort of that transitional period that morphed into how we know it today and so when we do talk about freemasonry being this repository of knowledge absolutely it is and and though though i can't go out and cut a stone per se i think those skills that they were transferring down from you know one generation to the next is still what we're doing today. And so our opportunity in the lodge, we talk about it from a magic aspect again, is to sort of use that magic and those skills to put it all together to not only transform for the candidate, but also all of those in the lodge that are participating, not only in the degree, but even in the meeting. So that's, as I think about all that we've been talking about tonight, and this is not how I thought about it when we started, that maybe that is the magic is, is putting all those those things together. Yeah. Again, I think it's, you know, just having that, that intention of creating the, that very moving experience for, and if it's a stated meeting for yourself and your brothers in that lodge room, or if it's a degree, not only for uh, the candidate, but also for yourself, to to your point, you know, and we can maybe, you know, as an offshoot, uh, I, I have talked about in some of my articles in the Midnight Freemasons about how, you know, these, the, the guilds weren't just a guild. They were, you know, a school. They taught men to, you know, do mathematics, geometry, uh, you know, they, that's why we adhere ourselves um, or we're told to cultivate our, and practice the liberal arts and sciences, because these are, you know, essentially uh, what, classified for for schooling uh for you know these men and not only the men that join the the masonic guilds but i'm sure also carpentry or any of the the trades they had to learn how to do some mathematics they had to to know how to to read and probably write and this you know and at those times it took you know, it took the place of formal schooling because let's face it, the only people probably getting any sort of education at, at, in the medieval times were the upper echelons of society. So, you know, if you were uh, going to be a priest, you, you would learn Latin and you would learn, you know, how to read Latin, write Latin, translate it into various languages. You probably learned various languages. 
and and this you know took the place of formal schooling the idea of you know really kind of standardized education or, or uh, formal schooling is is relatively new concept you know if you think about it in, in the history of the world um, yeah it's normally been reserved for those that um, are probably the upper echelons of society but as an aside I'll just say uh, you know if you're interested in learning more about magic and how it applies to Freemasonry. Uh, I would highly suggest uh, Jamie Polam's book, Myth, Magic, and Masonry. It came out a few years ago, but it's uh, the very first part of it kind of goes into this relationship, a very high level, uh, but, you know, very good uh, summary of, of kind of the inner relation of it. And then, you know, from there you can dig deeper. Uh, but if you're interested in just kind of a very layman's introduction to kind of high magic or ceremonial magic, I would say Damien Eccles' High Magic's probably a very good book. Very uh, user-friendly for those who are, you know, not familiar with what uh, what kind of magic is. Damien Eccles was a... If you remember this case, there's been uh, multiple documentaries about it, but this case in Arkansas where there were these three teens that were kind of sentenced with circumstantial evidence regarding the killing of uh, of uh, one of their, their peers and ended up these guys got on death row and eventually were pardoned. And Damien was one of these three, and uh, it was part of the whole uh, satanic panic of the 80s. Uh, you know, he he was, uh, you know, they played Dungeons and Dragons. They, um, Damien was uh, kind of practicing magic at that point, ceremonial magic or high magic, and, uh, you know, was just further evidence used to kind of railroad him. Um, but he's, uh, you know, now out free along with his, his uh, comrades. I think they were freed in the early or mid-2000s, maybe late, a little later than that. But he wrote this book, uh, I think, in 2018, 17, 18, High Magic, and he's come out with some uh, a few others, but just very high-level, I would say, layman's approach to if you want to start practicing uh some basic magical rituals we you know oh, for brevity of time didn't get into tonight um maybe we'll address kind of expand that relationship at a later date but yeah well i've learned a lot just by talking this through and uh i hope our listeners did too i guess as we get to the uh into 2023, and I think we'll do another episode somewhere in the next few weeks, sort of recapping. But I just want to take this moment to uh, thank Bill and Darren for all they do to make this podcast successful. Uh, if it had been just me, we wouldn't have got past episode one. But Darren and Bill just do an excellent job. And as we get you know into this holiday season, uh, Christmas and Hanukkah and other things, and uh, just want to wish everybody the the best of all those holidays and hope they can have a magical time perhaps with their friends and family over these uh next few weeks it can be stressful but uh, i think learns take some of those things we learn in freemasonry and apply them and it'll also help you get through these holidays as we get towards the uh the end of the year so i'll throw it to darren see if he's got any other closing comments no uh i think you summed it up perfectly and um again uh thank you for uh you know, 
your uh, kind words towards myself, and I'll speak for Bill as well. But uh, you know, it's a a, a team. Uh, I think that if uh, I think again, if it was left up to any one of us, we may not have gotten very far. But uh, I think we yeah. all bring our unique talents to the podcast and our unique perspectives. And uh, I think that's kind of what makes it work. And uh, I hope the listeners you know, have plenty to think about after tonight's episode. And uh, thanks uh, again for listening and uh, happy holidays, as Greg said to all of you. Yeah. Thank you for listening. And we appreciate all of you and we hope you'll come back soon and listen to another exciting episode of meet act and part. Thank you for listening to meet act and part. For more information about our show visit our website at www.meetactandpark.com While there please consider supporting the show by sponsoring us on Patreon. Until we meet again, may we meet Act and Park.